Who's this? Oh, you're an entrepreneur? Oh, you're a real estate investor. Oh, you're trying to learn from those who did it. Well, come into the lab then. Put your white coat on, gloves on, notepad, and let's build, y'all. Real Estate Experiment, what is happening, y'all? Today, I have the pleasure of having Mike Murawski in the lab with us, uh, dialing in from Chicago. And listen, it's a pleasure to have you, Mike, uh, here on the show. And I want to give you your due diligence and introduction much deserved, because when we talk about having experimenters who come into the lab who have experimented in a lot of different models, uh, I, I think I don't think there's anyone else who's more qualified to be wearing that white lab coat, having done as many experiments as you have. So uh, without further ado, Mike, welcome to the lab. What is going on? Hey, Ruben, thanks for having me. And God, I love the name, uh, the exper- real estate experiment, right? Absolutely. Awesome. So absolutely. Listen, Mike, you uh, where do I begin? I mean, I almost wonder now when you introduce yourself with all that you've done in the umbrella of real estate, um, you know, I know that you're big into coaching now, but, you know, from you coming out the gate of, you know, being a general contractor to having your own company and then selling it and then getting into sales and, and, and selling your first year, I think it was like 78 sales that you had. And then the next year after you built a big team, you're sending 125 and you're doing uh first, uh, you know, um, uh, uh, you were just, you're just doing volume and, and, and you have this consistency and you, you, it, I want to get to it because I want to talk about how you're thinking of the exit strategy as you're building this company. Now you're then, you know, then you got into private equity and then you got into, uh, from what I understand, and I would love to understand and dive, dive, in, dive in a little bit deeper, because I think, you know, that is how we ran into a little bit of issues and we'll talk about, but you've raised so much money from, you know, if I'm looking at my notes here, you're doing like 60 million, you have 18, 18 million, you have 7,500 units that you're managing. Uh, you, you went from sales, you transitioned to investing, and then you got into coaching. So for you, I mean, when we say entrepreneur and experimenter, I believe your name is right there. And for me, I'm curious, when we meet you, how do you introduce yourself today, having done all these things in your in your arsenal and having all these things under your belt? Yeah. So, you know, gosh, you're talking and I got to look around and see who you're talking about, right? Because sometimes you re- you don't realize yourself everything you've done right? You look back and you go, holy cow, I can't believe I have all that done uh, or I've accomplished this or grown this. Here, here's a key, right? One of the keys I think I've always had is I heard Jim Rohn say years ago, success leaves clues. Mm. And he went on to explain that if you do what other successful people have done, you can cut the learning curve and cut the time. So, you know, you talked about the, that experience I had going into real estate. I sold my construction company. You know, I was burnt out. I woke up one morning and I was like, I looked at my wife at the time. I said, I can't do this anymore. I was banging nails. I was selling. I was scheduling. I was paying the bills. I was, you know, bidding jobs. I, I was burnt out. And so I sold the company. And, and the good news was somebody was knocking on my door at the time. So they bought, they bought the company from me and I took a year off. 
we went and we really didn't, but we house hacked a couple houses. And this is long before it was sexy, right, Ruben? Right. So yeah. she's screaming at me because she's walking on nails. But, um, you know, today everybody does it because it's like part of life, right? And that's right. how you how you graduate into real estate or how a lot of people do. Um, and, and I went in the business and this guy made me a cassette tape that um, I listened to over and over and over again. And the fundamentals, the simple fundamentals that he taught me on that tape, I implemented here, success leaves clues. And I sold 78 houses in nine months. I was Remax rookie of the year that year. And it's because of scripts and dialogues, being able to talk to people and be able to handle objections and, and, and walking through the fear, right? I went on, I built a team selling 125 homes a year. Uh, and did that for about 10 years. So, so Mike, I got to stop you for a second. Cause you're, you know, that's such a, I, I like this trajectory and the Ascension and I want to take a step back because when you started before the cassette, you, you know, you, from what I understand is you had issues with, um, you know, understanding difference with working on the business and versus mm -hmm. in the business. And, um, what I understand is you actually had a great uh, contracting business. You, you know, you had a lot of guys working for you, um, but you were just spent. And, and so what, what talk about, you know, did that year give you the time to think about, Hey, there's a better way because um, obviously we're going to get into your story and how many different business models that you came. So did that, was that like a light bulb moment where like I'm, I'm going to continuously always seek out a better way, or maybe it was not, maybe I'm completely off. I'm just thinking like what's going through your head as you've made that transition into again, from that time that the cassette tape was, 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 was handed to you. Yeah. I don't know what was going through my head, honestly. Um, you know, I was, God, I was 20 years old, 23 years old. And, um, you know, my, my wife and I, we were living together and we sold the house. We got married. We started the house hack a two flat. And, and I didn't, I didn't, real estate wasn't in my sights. I wasn't thinking about real estate. I don't have a background of, of real estate history in my family. I wasn't, I don't have an entrepreneur background, but I started reading books, right? Mm. About, you know, that difference between working on working in your business. You know, I read a book called uh, The E-Myth by Michael yeah, Gerber. Of course, Michael Gerber. And, and he talks about it. He says, look, man, most people go into business and they're a technician, right? You're a contractor. You open a contracting business. You're a technician. You're working in the business. You never yeah. have time to, to step back and work on the business. And, and until an entrepreneur realizes that they have to work on the business and get out of it, uh, your business tends to stay flat, doesn't really have that growth. I didn't know where I was going to go, but I knew that this real estate agent was hanging around and I got to be friendly with him and he was really successful. I mean, back then he was making over $500,000 a year in commission and that was unheard of back then. Houses, house prices were 30, 40, $50,000 and you know, it took a lot of house sales to get to that point. Right? So, um, I went to him and I said, hey, I'm thinking about going into real estate. And he just really encouraged me. He said, I think you'd be good at it. You've got a great personality. You know how to deal with people. You're not afraid to ask questions. You're not afraid to take the next step forward. Um, just, you know, I'll teach you what you need to know. Sure. And, and how'd, you, how'd you find this guy, by the way, Mike? Yeah, I was a, I had a house for sale by owner. Yeah. And he showed up as a real estate agent to sell that house 
mm. uh, to help us sell that house. And I was like, nah, 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 we'll sell it by ourselves. And he kept hanging around and hanging around. And, and here's the deal, right? And I don't talk about this very often because people really don't ask, but he had a process for the for sale by owner. That was a very simple process. And, and here's really what it equated to was giving back. Hey, you know, Ruben, what can I do to help you? And, and that was the philosophy. And I, earned, I, I learned early on from him that if I go to the for sale by owner and say, hey, listen, I'm going to give you my service for free and I'm going to help you get your house sold on your own. And, and I don't want any commission for it. The only, you know, the only thing I ask is that you don't sell your house. Give me an opportunity to show you what I can do as a listing agent. Boy, Ruben, I, I went on six or eight of those kind of appointments every day. I went out and I had flyers made, brochures made. I did open houses for people. I, I, I um, put signs up. I, you know, people would call me and ask me questions and I'd get answers for them. And, and I'm new in the business. I'm green, you know, green behind the ears, right? So I'm just like talking to people and building relationships. And the next thing I know, these people aren't selling their houses. So they're calling me. Before I knew it, I had 25 or 30 listings on the market, and I kept that pace for, you know, 10 years. Talking with people and building relationships. It's 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 so crazy, Mike, because um, I was just telling this to, to my sister, and her friend was here, and she was visiting town. She was a little younger, and I'm always kind of like saying, hey, man, here's my biggest key takeaway. And one thing I was saying is um, to stand out these days is is to simply serve yeah. uh genuinely uh because you don't even get that with customer service anymore and you know it's it's you know sometimes we get on these on, on the show and we listen to episode after episode hey what's that secret what's that secret that mike had and I, for me from what i heard it was again listening to people fostering relationship and, and, and building building these relationships, but then eventually just turns into business naturally by over delivering. Would you did I paraphrase that right, or do you have an additional yeah. key takeaway? Because that's and what I got I out of that. I don't even know that it's by over delivering. Because how do you over deliver mm. by getting to be somebody's friend? Hey, listen, let me tell you this. Right, this thing today mm-hmm. is probably the most powerful tool that's ever been mm-hmm. built, and it's an iPhone that I'm holding up. Right. Yeah. Um, the problem is with it that it takes away from this, Ruben. You and I sitting down, having a cup of coffee, looking at each other in the eye. Absolutely. Husband and wife talking about uh, something substantial, looking into their your spouse's soul, uh, building a relationship with people. You know, everybody's got their head down today and they're texting, right? And hey, I do it too. I mean, yeah. it's how people communicate today. But I try to teach my kids. I say, you know, hey, listen, uh, do something different. Get out of Get out of your own way. One of the things about these podcasts is uh, same thing. You know, this guy made me a cassette tape and right. to over and over and over again. Mm. And it's the same thing with these podcasts today. I'm going to drop a dozen golden nuggets on, on over the next half hour here. Make sure you got a piece of paper, write them down, you know, just like success leaves clues, build relationships. Mm. You know, those are key principles, I think, for for people today. I love that. So building relationships, success leaves clues. You've said that a few times, so I don't ignore it when someone like you of your standard comes in and is repeating that. I think we should take a note of it and, and see how you were able to apply it. So I want to make a few key notes here because I think you made some good points. Uh, you talked about reading a book. You didn't come 
from a background of real estate, et cetera, your house hacking, just because you didn't per se have the vision. Uh, but then from what I hear, it sounds like you, you know, picking up a book and then getting closer to the source uh, of, of, of a gentleman who had fostered a relationship with you and then almost being tucked under his wing, but he didn't do it on his own time. He gave you a cassette to work with. Let me ask you just maybe fast forward. I know you're big into coaching today. Is there some, does that relate back a little bit kind of like, do you coach because of that or do you even think about it? Is that maybe kind of something coming full circle here or what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. See, I've always looked at myself as a coach. All those houses I sold, 70% of my business was investor business. People didn't want to be, uh, real estate agents back then did not, were not investor friendly. They actually would tell you, oh, stay away from the investors. They just want to draw yeah, yeah. your time, suck your time. But, you yeah. know, I was investor friendly. So I, I had, I built a huge database of investors, which down the road benefited, right? Hugely. Yeah. And um, so, you know, it's that, it's that giving back. How can I help somebody else? And you know, make your life a little bit easier, right? Give you something that, that you need. Yeah, we're going to fast forward right into that because I think, you know, you talk about the relationship that, that kind of helped you get into the investing side. So after the selling side, you know, you're, you're building a team, um, you know, at that point, you've, you've almost, you know, at that point, have you replicated essentially what that, that gentleman had given you in the cassette and you said, what's next? Like, what was that, that ascension? I want to see how you think. Oh, the reason I'm asking this question, I want to see how you think. And maybe it wasn't intentional. Maybe it was at the time. So I'm curious as what the next step was for you as you're kind of making these record sales and, and, and rookie of the year, et cetera. Yeah. So, you know, you said read a book, right? And, and I read, I've read 1500 books in the last you know, 25 years. So um, the reason though, is because I, I'm, I'm an advocate for continually educating myself. Um, I didn't go to college, right? Early on, I went later, but I didn't go to college. And, but I got my knowledge from reading books and watching what other people did, biographies, business books, how to, you know, um, those were, those were instrumental in my life, building a business and, and learning how to do things different. I've always felt I was a coach. I coached my clients in, in how to buy a house. My construction background helped a lot and it continues helps today. And I don't tell people you need a construction background because you don't, but I, I'm just saying it did help in that niche that I found myself in a lot and where I find myself today, actually. And, you know, it's just, it's a continual process of pushing forward. And then, you know, I got a coach. So I'm in real estate a couple of years and right. I, I'm at a seminar and, and I say, I'm getting a coach. I, and I'll never forget the first time I, I wrote a check for a thousand dollars and walked away from that table after writing that check, I went, holy crap, how am I going to pay for this? A thousand dollars for one month of coaching. So I paid a thousand dollars a month for 20 years, right? You do the math on that. Um, and, and back then when I started coaching, you here's what you got. You got one, one half hour call a, a month or a week. So you got four calls a month, four 30 minute calls. So for two hours of coaching, I got, you know, a thousand dollars, but here's what my coach did for me. And this is what I do for the people I coach is they, they teach me something, they give me an assignment and then they hold me accountable. 
So now when I come mm. back next week, they want to say, what'd you get done? Teach me something new. And and I wanted to make sure that I got it done because if I didn't, I, I always felt like, oh God, how do I tell them I didn't get this done? Um, and But I got the assignment done. They give me a new assignment. I go back and do it again. It's that continual stretching. And I say that coaching caused me to grow my business 20% a year for years just because of the continual stretching. And I never kept the same coach. You know, I, I talked to somebody today or yeah. e emailed with somebody today. They said, oh, I've had the same coach for 15 years. And I thought, wow, why haven't you had five coaches in 15 years? Um, so can you elaborate on that? Because I think that's really important. You, are you coming from a place where you're saying once you maybe pass the level of your coach, you, you keep on coaching higher? Or is, do you have something along those lines? Or do you actually believe, no, coaches are for accountability and maybe you get different coaches to see different blind spots? Like where do you stand on getting different coaches and what's your reasoning behind it? So here, you know, picture <clears throat> this, Ruben. You and I coach, you know, I coach you for, for two years. We become friends, right? At some level, I know about you. I know about your family. I know about your relationships. I know about your business. I know who you are at the core. We, we become friends. A, a good coach can't be your friend. I, I've Ooh. told people, hey, listen, you, you have to go on, okay? I, and I say that kind of like there's a level there, right? You, you need to go on and, and get something else from somebody else. So um, I've left coaches because I've, I've been like, you know, I remember one coach in particular and I told her, I said, Mary, I said, you've, you've done so much for me in the last two years. I said, I, I think I need a new coach. She goes, you know, it's funny. I was just thinking about that. She goes, we've really become close and, and we became friends, you know, almost intimate, but it wasn't intimate. And it just, she just knew so much about me and my wife and my kids and my business. And, and I knew about her and her husband and her kids. And, and, you know, it was like, man, you know, I'm, I'm not getting that stretch anymore. The mind's like a rubber band. Every time you pull it, it'll never mm. go back to its original elasticity, you know? Yeah. So the more, the more we stretch our mind, the more somebody pushes you, stretches you, the more you're going to grow. Yeah. I'm curious about this, by the way. I'm curious to hear what you th your thoughts are. Um, what are your thoughts on getting a coach that is not exactly where you want to be, but maybe is a step ahead? Mm -hmm. Do you believe in, 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 in getting that? No, you got to have the end all be all, or do you believe in getting coaches for different levels? Yeah. You know what? Get a coach that's going to stretch you, right? Cause if, if your coach is 10 steps ahead of you, that's probably a good coach for you because they've, they've got the experience, they've got the knowledge, they might have some systems that you can learn from. Remember, success leaves clues. So if yeah. your coach has been successful and they're 10 steps ahead of you, why would you not want to be coached by that person? Yeah, very interesting. So let's go into your, your transition because you went into sales, uh, you know, residential, build a big team, and then you said, that's not enough. I got to take it to the next level again. And you got into investing. Um, what did that transition look like? Was it was it another book? Was it another someone you again in your circle in your network? Uh, tell me about that next step for Experiment Nation, so they know what that next step could look like for them if they wanted to take that next step again. And, and again, we're going to note the, the blind spots as well. Yeah. 
remember histories like bell bottoms, right? They come back. So come back and style straight legs today, but we'll see bell bottoms in a couple of years. <laughs> you know, it's funny what you're saying. There's, there's, <laughs> speaking of fashion, the, the the white, what is it? The flaring out pants are, are back in style. And so it's, this is Q4 2021. I'm seeing it. I'm telling you, Mike. I'm seeing it. It's it's out here. So what you're saying is 100% right. History will repeat itself. Tell tell us about your that 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 next step up for you. Yeah. So here's why I say that because right now, watch what's going on in our environment, in our Mm. economic environment. Okay. Sure. So 2005 rolls around. I've got seven people working for me. I'm selling 125 listings a year. And very little buyer activity because I give most of it away and just collect a referral fee from it uh, because I wasn't a buyer. I I wasn't buyer centric. Right. Um, I like that, by the way, that you're very this is what we will do. This is what we won't do. Interesting. So um, 2005 rolls around and I go, man, this market is shifting and I I don't know what I'm going to do, but I see it coming. I wasn't sure what it was. Prices were really high. The P&E in the stock market was out of balance. Everything was like the, the fundamentals were not right. And I knew something was going to happen, but I didn't know what. So I said, you know what? I've always wanted to be in the apartment business. Maybe now's the time. So I, I when I had the construction company, I did a lot of work for a couple of big syndicators here in Chicago. And I always understood this. I understood the private equity model. You raise private equity, you marry it with a great real estate deal, you stay in the middle. As long as everything goes well, everybody makes money. Uh, 2005, I said, let me try and syndicate an apartment deal. So I go out and I syndicate my first apartment deal. Coach, with a coach or no coach? No coach. No. Interesting. Yeah. So so I say, I'm going to go try and do this. I find an 11 unit deal and I put a little crazy ad in the newspaper classified ad for $45. Here's what it said. Real estate investors wanted. My phone rang off the hook. Ultimately, from that one ad, I raised $500,000 in about uh, with uh, less than a year. But I closed that first deal. I said, man, this is going to be unbelievable. So I started, I made some mistakes on that first deal. Went to my broker, developed a buying strategy. And my next deal, I went from 11 to 64 units on my next deal. And then I went from 64 to 187. But here's what happened. I raised $18 million in 30 months and bought $60 million worth of real estate. It was 4,000 apartments in five separate markets. And I vertically vertically integrated a property management company managing 7,500 units also. So in 30 months, I built a company pretty close to $100 million in value. Um, can we hit a timeout? (laughs) Lesson, lesson number one, I grew way too fast. Yeah. I mean, oh, so let's unwrap that for just a bit. Cause this is for you. This might seem like, you know, you talked about pinch me. Um, I mean, that's big. What what do you think is the let's go back to even the okay from the eleven unit to the sixty four unit was it the same thing that worked on the eleven unit that worked on the sixty four that worked on the one eighty seven or what things changed along those lines because we want to understand the growth here. Yeah. So uh, great questions by the way, Ruben. Um, so the thing is, I, I bought this eleven unit deal and did no due diligence. I didn't look at the market. I didn't look at the early evaluation traps. I didn't look at the financials. 
I took the seller's word. Here's what the seller said. Oh, you can buy this thing. Um, go in, rehab these apartments, raise the rent 75 to hundred dollars a month. You'll get new tenants, fix the parking lot. If I showed you a picture of this first deal, you'd laugh, right? I look at it now and I go, Oh my goodness. How could I ever even have bought this thing? It was an old hotel, you know, steel railings on the outside, a broke up parking lot. And, you know, it had 28 domestic dispute calls a month from the police department. In February, that's a perfect month, right? So, like so, um, so I, all of a sudden I've got this bag of bricks and I go, holy cow, this thing's a, a albatross. It's an alligator. I don't want anything to do with it. I became a don't wanter. And so I went to my broker and I said, look, Ryan, I said, we have to re- uh, think our model. We have to think of a buying plan. And he and I spent about three hours together and developed this buying plan. And the next deal I bought was a garden style, two story, class B property, pitched roofs, a little bit on the brick front, mostly two bedroom units, uh, had a parking lot that had one and a half car spaces per unit. Um, it had uh, interior entrances. It wasn't exterior entrances. I, you know, that was my buying criteria, right? I knew mm. I needed to be at a certain price point. I knew I needed to have a, um, a certain cap rate at the time. So I knew what my metrics were all of a sudden, right? Because I had such a bad experience here. And moving forward, I bought that kind of a property. That's what showed up in my world because, you know, What's the key word today? Build an avatar, right? Who's your client? Who's your person? What do you want? They show up. It showed up in my life. Sure. What, Mike, by the way, that first deal, the 11 unit, did you raise capital on that? Yeah. 200000 um, from that little ad in the newspaper. <laughs> I'm just wondering, like, were your investors all like, yeah, this looks good. Like, uh, only you kind of, I don't know if you put an offer memorandum together at the time. Like, that's just a very interesting Um you know, that that kind of went through and you were like, yeah, sure. Oh, look good. Listen, the two, the first two investors in that deal, I didn't even know they came from that ad in the newspaper. Right. So I barely, barely had 30 seconds to build a, uh, a relationship with them, but my excitement, you know, I was so excited. I'm going to get this deal done. Right. Mm -hmm. And I, I think a lot of times, um, people are, um, they, they, they don't go at it full steam, right? They, they back off a little bit. And, you know, your enthusiasm as an individual, your belief as an individual will sell somebody, right? They say, hey, find a great real estate deal, the money will show up. Yeah, that's true. But it, they believe in you. They don't believe in the real estate. They believe in you. Mike, that's so good. I love that. I'm going to take that away. That's a big one. So enthusiasm will go a long way. And it, it almost boils down back to to the confidence of like, hey, this guy seems like he's in, I'm in. And and I and I always say, you know, if I were to wish for one superpower, Mike, I always say that it'd be the ability to convince people. Because when you can do that, it means that they believe in you, that you, you know, you have the confidence and you you can convince them to do something because you're or you're enthusiastic about it, you believe in it, and then people will follow. Um, so I love that key takeaway. Um the, the other thing I was going to ask you and is, um, do you think, Mike, because I think about this too sometimes when, when you know, hindsight is 2020, 
if there's two versions, there's Mike one sits on this and doesn't take this action, doesn't build any momentum, doesn't have any enthusiasm, or Mike two analyzes deals for the next five years and it's got to be perfect, doesn't take action. I mean, wouldn't you pick? I'm curious. I don't want to sway you towards it in any way, but like, which Mike do you pick? Because I'm I always question even when when it's a bad experience. Was it truly a bad thing that you got started off with a bad deal? What are your What's your take on that with all your years of experience? Oh, heck no. It was a great thing I got started off with a bad deal because I was able to put together some – I realized very quickly uh, that I was able to put together some systems and strategies that now the next deals were good deals, were better deals, right? Yeah. Um, you know, it's like underwriting. Here's what I, here's what I teach people about underwriting is – when I got in the business, I didn't have a fancy tool. I didn't have a spreadsheet. I didn't have a big Excel, blown out Excel, you know, underwriting tool. Um, so I underwrote by hand. So when I figured out I needed to underwrite, I started to write down all the metrics on paper. I'd go through a couple um, legal pads, just rent, rent growth, expenses, expense growth, projections, what's gonna happen. What it caused me to do was it caused me to figure out um, what the what the fundamentals were. Hey, what if rents went up? What if they didn't go up? What if the price was this? What if the price was this? I'm a big what if guy. You've got to ask what if, right? Yeah. What if the market stays strong? What if the market changes? See, I didn't know that all the way along the way, right? <laughs> a, yeah. We learn these lessons along the way. So um, just... So today I have a big, robust institutional grade uh, underwriting tool that we've built over 20 years, right? Yeah. Uh, and and it just, it gets better with, it's like good wine, right? It gets better with age. Now I don't drink mm -hmm. wine, I don't drink, but um, I'm just saying, you know. Yeah. I like that. I like that. I mean, it, you indirectly were saying this right here, experiment, fail, learn, repeat mm -hmm. is where I was going at is, you know, for experiment nation, it's experiment forward. And, and that's why, you know, I have guys like you come into the lab to share that, you know, I believe in momentum, um, you know, whether it's in the wrong, you know, and, and again, we have shows like these so that you can put momentum towards a, a direction through a proof of concept. Why? Because success leaves clues. And I think you're leaving a lot of clues for us. So um, by fast forwarding, um, you talked about, you know, what if this, what if that, what if there was a crash uh, coming in, you know, very similar to what happened in 2008? What if that happened to you, Mike? And what if you actually had to deal with some of the re repercussions at the time? Can you tell us a little bit about that? What if that actually happened? Yeah, absolutely. So 2005 rolls around. I see the market starting to shift. I go into the apartment business and, and I thought, here's what's my thought. The housing market's going to crash, but people who are going to lose their house are going to need a place to live. So they're going to find shelter in apartments. Apartments are going to be a safe haven, right? So I buy all these apartments. I scale the business really fast. 2008 rolls around, and it was like hitting a brick wall in a freight train at 200 miles an hour. We started to come off the rails. And we came off the rails because grew too fast, very unstable. I thought I had a good team behind me that was um, doing construction and stabilizing properties and retenanting properties. And none of that was going on at the rate it should have been going on. You know, you can build this 
beautiful business plan. You can have all these goals. You can get all this ex, uh, knowledge. But if you don't take the right action and have the right execution, this goes back to coaching and accountability, right? Y you don't go anywhere. You know, it's like it's like being stuck in a snowstorm trying to spin out of that ice you're stuck in. So I was um, very unstable as a company. I didn't raise enough capital. So I was un, um, undercapitalized. I was over leveraged. I bought $60 million worth of real estate at 15% down, 85% uh, loan to value. I don't know who was, who was more at fault, me for taking the money or the banks for giving it to me. Yeah. Can, 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 I want to I wanna make sure because that's such a good point and I always hear it and I want to hear it from you. Uh, what it looks like to not be over leveraged. What's the sweet spot? Is it 20? Is it 25? Is it 30? Because you hear the word over leveraged, but then you don't really know what it should look like on paper. Should you be raising more capital so you have 40% in? Like, What is that number that would you know, uh, keep somebody afloat uh, for another crash? We'll be right back. Yeah. Um, I don't know that we know truly what the answer to that question is. Here's where I think there's safety. If you're 25% in, mm -hmm. you know, 75% LTV, I think you have some safety in that. But I want to tell you that today in today's environment, I'm underwriting deals at 65%. So we're raising more private equity, right? On a deal. I'm only getting 65% from the banks. Uh, First of all, the banks, the agencies, they're all going to start to look for that. And, you know, as, as we start to move over the next couple of years here into, you know, some uncharted waters again, I think we're going to see. But I, I think that you'd be safe. It's, you know, 65 to 75 percent loan to value in that range. Can you ex explain, Mike, uh, for someone who's listening, uh, why that? that makes such a difference into uh, an investor that survives and one that doesn't like you might think really like 10, 15, really? Like why? Okay. So I think it's a it's a, it's a long explanation. The, mm -hmm. the, the bottom line is your cost of capital is less. Your expenses are less. So if you have a, a shift in occupancy and your NOI drops, your net operating income drops mm -hmm. and you can't pay your bills, um, it, your bills are less, so they're easier to pay. You're so, saying the uh, the uh, debt rate, debt service is is a lower payment. Um, is that is that what we're getting at here, or is that even is it more granular than that? Yeah, no, that that's pretty. That's a good place, I think, for um, somebody oh, to understand it. So, but there's another side to it. So you've got a private equity piece. You've yes. got your investors. Um, this becomes an education process for the investors. So the last several years, that private investor has really been spoiled. They're in deals that they're seeing high teens IRR. They're seeing eight and nine percent cash on cash returns on deals. That's coming to an end. So oh yeah, we've seen that. Investors need to know right now. I'm underwriting deals today that my investors are going to see a 5%, 6% pref with maybe a below 15%, 13% IRR total all in on a deal. Hmm. I, listen, I have a I have a buddy, he's been in the business about 30 years. 
He's done hundreds of thousands of units and they're underwriting deals today at 50-50 and they're paying their private equity investors a 5% pref. That's it. No right. back end, no equity. You're getting a 5% pref because they know where, where the market's headed. You know, mm -hmm. so once you've been in the business a while and you've seen the cycles, now it's time to prepare because uh, it's going to it's going to come to an end and everybody's talking about it right now. But nobody, you know, so just it's an interesting it's an interesting dynamics right now. And that's why they got to plug in because success leaves clues. And I think you uh, took it upon yourself, from what I understand, Mike, to kind of solve this problem on your own. You want to elaborate a little bit on um, how you had done this experiment, 85 LTV on 60 million. And you're in a position where we haven't even gotten to all the you know, businesses that you've had. Again, you had a successful exit. Uh, you're building other businesses alongside as well. Do you, do you mind just giving us a, just a quick, uh, I know you have the vertical integration property management company. What were the other businesses involved in that were so profitable that kind of led you to start moving some money around, and which we'll get to as to you know, maybe not to do in the future. But uh, what what were those other businesses as the entrepreneur that you are that were that you were building alongside the way as well? Well, I had three core businesses. So I had the um, private equity company, mm -hmm. which we raised equity and we bought real estate. I had the property management company, and then I had the construction company. Right. Gotcha. So we were all under one umbrella, um, but I had 38, 38 uh, individual properties, apartment complexes underneath that umbrella. And, and here's what happened, right? 2008 came around, the market got real rocky. Um, I was on, uh, you know, undercapitalized, over leveraged. I grew too fast, very unstable as a company. And then I didn't pay attention to the details. There were people around me um, saying, hey, things are going on and I wasn't li listening. And I said, uh, you know, I got this under control. Don't worry about it. Well, 2010 rolls around and I've got occupancy problems. I've got cash flow problems because my debt is so high. My interest rates are so high on properties that um, I can't pay my bills. And so I say, well, if I take money from profitable companies and put them in non-profitable companies, move money back and forth. Here was my thought behind this. I've been involved in a number of recessions over the years. I've seen, uh, you know, recessions, they last 17 or 18 months, 10 to 12% correction in the marketplace. This thing's lasted seven or eight years, 40% correction in the marketplace. How do you weather the storm? Well, my attorney and my accountant, uh, both said, hey, you can move money back and forth. Just leave a paper trail. That's fine. So I did that. Here was the problem. I didn't tell my dis my investors. So I didn't disclose to my investors the movement of capital. I thought, ah, oh, when the market bounces back, I'll put the money back. And then I'll go to them and say, hey, here's what we did. I'm a hero. Look at the profit we've made. And that didn't happen. I never had a chance for that to happen. Uh, because of the non-disclosure issue, I wound up being charged on wire fraud and mail fraud charges and sentenced to 10 years in federal prison. Wow. Who, who, who makes that call? Is that like the, the like who, who, who is lifting the hood and, and finding out that Mike is doing things incorrectly? Who, and just so we know. 
So, you know, it's a perfect storm, right? Um, we were, we were doing some work for a third party company and the guy we were doing some work for wound up being indicted on some other charges unrelated to anything we were doing with him, but we were named as a victim on his case. At the same time we were named as a victim on his case, um, two of our investors wound up at the same attorney uh, trying to file a suit against us to get their capital back. And, you know, you're so illiquid at that point. There's no capital around at all to give back to people. Well, this attorney calls the FBI. So we've got this, we're named as a victim. The attorney calls the FBI and then um, um, that's where, that's where it all happened. Right. And so, they're calling just so we understand they're calling the FBI because they're saying, Hey, I'm a limited partner. I want my money back. I mean, that's not even a yeah. thing, is it? Like yeah. that's, what, that's not even in the contract, is it? Yeah. I was getting returns and now, you know, no, I'm not getting any, any profits back and, um, and um, uh, you know, nobody's returning my phone calls. The mm-hmm. noise was so loud. Right. So here I'm on vacation in 2010 and I don't think we're doing anything illegal, right? I just think that, you know, we're in trouble financially and upside down. And We try to problem solve, yeah. Yeah. So I go on vacation with my family in 2010. Um, I come back in August of 2010 and my partner hands me two business cards. He says, hey, you need to find a criminal attorney. I'm like, a criminal attorney? I said, I, what are you talking about? I said, I know we're in trouble financially, but criminally, he goes, Hey, I can't talk to you anymore. I go, you can't talk to me anymore. What do you, what do you mean? So remember, this is August of 2010, right about that time. We, we put all of our companies with a receiver, a receiver is somebody who takes over all the assets to manage them for the investors. Uh, it's like a voluntary bankruptcy, but we didn't, we didn't do bankruptcy. We just kind of wanted to resolve ourselves of all the noise and the investor issues. So we, we give these all these companies to a receiver. Well, I go see an attorney. I find an attorney and the attorney says, oh, you don't have anything to worry about. You guys didn't do anything wrong. And, you know, it's just noisy right now. Don't worry about it. And I want to say that five years before I got indicted, the SEC would have stepped in, slapped me on the hand, fined me $250,000, tell me to go back and straighten out my business and don't let it happen again. And right. I'd still be in business, be able to try and save everything and put everything together. And, you know, that doesn't happen anymore. Now they just put you out of business. They destroy you. They take everything from you. And, and, and that's how the system works today. So, um, so I go see this attorney. He says, I oh, don't worry about it. Well, in that's August, October, November of 2010. 2011, in May, I find out I'm getting indicted. I get indicted in May of 2011. At the same time, I find out that in August, six months earlier, while I'm on vacation with my family, my partner goes to the grand jury and testifies against me. They craft this story to keep the in-house legal counsel and our director of finance from being charged on anything. And he, uh, and, and he uh, crafts a deal to get less time. So I get sentenced for 10 years and he serves 30 months. So um, now I, I, I say that 
but I, I broke the law. I didn't disclose to my investors. I should have told my investors what was going on. And if my investors would have said, okay, and signed off on it, everything would have been fine. But non-disclosure is a big deal. If you're a real estate agent, make sure you're disclosing things. If you're an investor, if you're in the lending business, make sure you're disclosing things. Tell everybody everything. Be transparent. You know. So let me let me ask you, if that was disclosed, because I think we're learning a, a big lesson here. Do you think uh, investors would have been cool with it, or like, what's the worst case scenario? You would have just like you're in a bind. There's you know the the occupancy is is low. There's no money. There's no juice coming out. What's next? Like, what's the alternative here? Yeah, um, I should have let a half a dozen or a dozen deals go to foreclosure. I should have let 25 investors get hurt. Um, and, and I didn't do that. Okay. And, and I want to go back to that for a second, because you said something very clearly. Uh, you said something about you had success and you weren't listening to the right people. I want to kind of just put, put a bow on this and, and tie it all together. Um, do you think that you get to a point where success is almost blinding? Like you're, you've gotten so much momentum that you feel like everything you, you touch is to gold and that you touch turns to gold. And, and when that, if you do believe that that happens, do you feel that, um, do you feel that sometimes you get less coaching when you become successful and it's so important to, to continue to get it? Cause I think that coaching kind of fell off somewhere in between there. Like what's your lesson when you're, you're, you're reviewing, these these things i'm just trying to piece it together here so you you know we put blinders on right and we we try to stay focused and move in that straight direction but leave your blinders loose pay attention to the peripheral vision around you you need to see what's going on um let me just tell a story here i 2008, this is the first thing that happened, right? Closing the biggest deal that we've closed. I'm sitting in an office in a title company in Cincinnati and my um, I, I'm waiting for my office to wire $500,000 earnest money, you know, the deposit money to close this deal. It's not coming, it's not coming. I've been there since 11 o'clock, it's 10 to five. I finally get my partner. I can't catch him all day. I finally get him on the phone. He goes, I don't know how to tell you this. You don't know how to tell me what because I, I don't have the money. I moved the money from the escrow account into the business account. I said, Hey, we had this conversation when we first went into business. You never did that. You never do that. He goes, I know. I thought I'd have the money back. We had a problem. I, I said, listen, never an excuse. So I dry close. I sign all the paperwork, say I'll have the deal funded by Tuesday. I go home. I uh, raise the rest of the money, give some equity away on the deal. Uh, get the deal closed. So all that was fine. Um, he eventually put some of the, ca the cash back together. And here's the point. I, I never told my wife about business. We never talked about it at all. Once in a while, because she worried, right? And I never wanted her to worry. And, I, you know, once in a while, I'd say, hey, I met a great investor today, or we closed a deal, or I raised this money, or that was it. But, um, so I didn't tell her what happened. That was Wednesday. On Friday night that week, we go to dinner. We go to dinner with my partner and his wife. And on the way home from dinner, she says to me, I don't trust him. And, and so now I think I'm going to be a good husband. And what I say is, hey, honey, I got this. Don't worry about it. Trying to provide security. Don't worry. I got your back. Everything's going to be fine. We're going to be okay. 
what I should have said, and I want guys to pay attention to this because your wife a lot of times is a lot smarter than you are. Mm-hmm. I, I want, I, I should have said, tell me more. What are you seeing that I'm missing? Right. But I just thought, man, I, I, I've got this under control. I'm trying to drive the bus. Well, a week later, I'm out to lunch with my attorney, my outside legal counsel. Him and I have been friends for years. He's done real estate for me for years. We're leaving lunch and he puts his arm around me in the parking lot. And he says, I got to talk to you. I said, what's up? He says, I don't like what I see going on. Your partner's up to some things that I'm not real sure about. And I think you need to take it. And I, ah, Bob, don't worry about it. I got this under control. I got it handled. So twice in the course of a week, these signs come up, these red flags come up, and I just ignore them. And we do that so often in our life. Think about it now. You know, um, you, you could be underwriting a deal right now and you like the deal so much, maybe even love the deal, that you miss some of the metrics or fundamentals that you know. Hey, think about an exit cap rate. How are you how are you looking at an exit cap rate today on a deal? Or, you know, where's the market going to be? How are you projecting that? So, I mean, we've underwritten in the last six months, we've probably underwritten 200 deals, right? Mm-hmm. In different markets and different, you know, so you, you really have to pay attention to what's going on right now. Um, so I tell that, so listen to people around you, watch for the things going on in your life, especially when they come up in your face. Mm-hmm. It always goes back to the clues, which I love. And I think you put that so well together. Um, <clears throat> so this is the part where I want you to share with our audience um, what happens after and how do we tie this together? It was Did you do the 10 years, uh, Mike, or what happened? Yeah, so I went to prison. I went to prison in 2013. Um, and, you know, I always tell people, I say, look, I, I never flew private. I didn't have a big house. I didn't have a boat. We didn't take exotic vacations. I didn't have a fancy car. I was the neighborhood baseball coach. I was home every night for dinner. I had a great marriage. My wife and I were best friends. And I got ripped from that to live in a 12 by 12 room with three men I didn't know, nor did I like at the time. Um, Wondering what the hell happened in my life. I had three green outfits and five pairs of cardboard underpants. And it was like, now what? So I was walking around every day going, you know, this can't be real. This can't be going on. How am I going to get through this? I was in prison about 17 days and I thought my wife and I would be fine. Matter of fact, all the way along the way, she said, we're going to be fine. We're going to get through this. And um, uh, I was in prison about 17 days and she said she was leaving me and divorcing me and it wrecked me. Um, Matter of fact, the joke around guys around me in prison were, Uh, take his shoelaces because we're afraid that he's going to hurt himself. So, uh, you know, for for the next several weeks, I walked around wondering, what was I going to do? How am I going to put my family back together? You know, and you just you're in this place that's not good, right? I went from being a marathon runner to being 35 pounds overweight. I hated myself and just, you know, wanted the misery to stop. So I walk into gym one day and I always tell people, I say, look, I was just window shopping. I wasn't looking to buy anything. And 
remember, I'm 35 pounds overweight, hate myself. I walk in the gym. This guy walks up to me and he says, hey, cut it out. Don't let these people beat you. All they want to do is take everything from you you've ever known. They can take your real estate, your money, your business, your cars, and they can destroy your family, but they can't take who you are. They can't take what you're made of and who you are at the core. You can get this 10 years back. He said, you can, buy, you can get your life back and build all those companies again. He said, come to this gym every day, start working out. And you know, Ruben, we all have these turning points in our life, right? Those, those moments where you go, wow, really? And, and, and this guy said, come to the gym every day. And I took him up. I said, okay. So I started going to the gym. I started working out. I started feeling better. I started losing weight. I wound up going to college. I got a bachelor's degree in theology over the next four years. Um, I wrote two books while I was gone. Uh, one called Exit Plan, Your Complete Guide to Multifamily Investing and Why You Need an Exit Plan Before You Buy. I wrote a book on property management. I wrote an ethics course. I taught real estate investing, property management, and ethics for six years in prison. I was on an outreach program. I went into the community. I told my story to major corporations and small businesses, um, college students. Probably 40 times I went out. And then I, was on, I met a professor from the University of Minnesota, and he and I co-authored a paper together that got published uh, this year in the Business Journal of Ethics on um, you know, an ethical case study that gets taught at the collegiate level today for forensic accounting and sales and marketing classes. Today, I'm in the coaching and training business. I hope to teach people how to not make the same mistakes I've made, how to scale a business, but how to live a balanced lifestyle so that you don't forget the most important things in your life. You know, I let my pride and my ego get in the way and overshadow what was important, which was my marriage and my kids and my family. And, you know, I showed up, but I showed up physically, not emotionally. And, you know, there's a big difference in that. So, um, you know, I re-engineered myself. And, and today I, I, I want, hope that my story shares hope and inspiration for people that don't let your past define you, right? Uh, fall forward, experiment, fail, learn, and repeat. Ah, I love you know? that. Yeah. Um, hope your license plate on your car says that <laughs> you know we're gonna have to to make some room i'm gonna have to talk to uh to the state uh but my goodness oh i um way to unpack my goodness this is one of the deepest lab sessions that we've had for sure i um and and i I love it because it always goes back to the core. We, we talk a lot about real estate. We talk a lot about business, but I think there were some real fundamental lessons um, in that turning point too. And um, sometimes someone planting the seed in you, uh, whether it was from back in the cassette to uh, that gentleman who was, you know, who told you, Hey, show up here every day. Um, it feels like there's always a guide and, and success, you know, success leaves clues, which is unbelievable um, that, you know, it's you, you say it so well, but there's no other way to see it. Like the universe will tell you its secrets if you're willing to listen. And um, I, I it's just so, so admirable and fascinating the turnaround and the journey that you've had. Um, and it really is about that. That, that to, there's always something to learn from every experiment that you do. And um, you know, I had a mentor who said, you know, um, when when 
when you you succeed, you celebrate, and when you fail, you ponder. And and sometimes we need to ponder and reflect more because it allows us to, you know, you don't want to get too high. Um, so with that said, I do. I think you left it so well. Um, you know, you talk about your book Exit Plan um, as we, you know, look to exit uh, this this uh, this wonderful session that we've had with you. You know, what you know. What are some of the, you know, what is something you want to leave uh, that, you know, you want to last last parting words, you know, as we talk about the exiting uh, for our listeners, I think you did a great job of summarizing it all together. But, um, you know, as kind of you wrote those books, as you kind of look back, you know, and, and forward and back at your life, uh, what is something you want to leave to Experiment Nation um, that will forever be able to be listened and tapped into um, you know, similar to the cassette player. Yeah. So, um, you know, I think I said a couple of things along the way, but success leaves clues and don't let your, your past or your stumbles, uh, define you because they're not who you are. Um, take action, move forward. You know, um, a lot of, you kind of alluded to it before Mike one, Mike two, you know, Mike, Mike that would go out and take action or Mike that would sit back and analyze a deal for five years. I think a lot of people kill themselves in the over-education and the over-analyzation. Mm. Um, stop over-analyzing things. Take action. And if you need somebody to hold you accountable to execute and be held accountable, find somebody to do that. Whether you go get a coach or you have, you know, your spouse hold you accountable, but but go and take action. Absolutely. And with that said, before uh we, we give Experiment Nation an opportunity to connect with you. Speaking of Mike 3, as I like to say, the version we're looking at right now, what's next for Mike 3? What's gonna what's next for you? What are your big aspirations so we can tap into that a little bit more? You've written books, you're coaching. What's the big thing that's next? And, and we're in Q4 here, going into Q1 2022. What's next on your radar that we should be on the lookout for? Yeah, so a couple of really cool things have happened recently. So, you know, I, I came home the week they closed the world down for the pandemic. So I've only been home maybe Jeez. 20 months and, um, you know, been been at this for, uh, you know, building a business for about 14 months. Uh, but I've been doing this all my whole life. You know, I, I, I started a, a, a talk the other day. I said, man, I, you always wish you had a little bit of time extra to prepare. But really, I've been preparing for 30 years for this. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, and I think that our journey is really important. Um, I just got reapproved. I got approved by the SEC to go back and be an issuer and a sponsor of deals. So um, I'm, I'm coaching and training people. I take only a select few um, uh, clients throughout the year. I have a couple of different coaching programs. I, I do have a, a group program, um, but I, I work one on one with just a select few um, people. And those people I, I partner with. I have two coaching clients right now that we are doing our our first deal in Tampa. It's a 40 unit. We're actually raising private equity on it. And we have another uh, deal right behind it. It looks like we'll go to contract on it tomorrow. It's a 96 unit deal. So, um, you know, so we're, we're back uh, in the trenches. I just went back into property management business. So um, we're managing properties locally and then we'll self-manage our own our own properties around the country. So um, there you go back. Like you never left. I love that. 
well, we're going to come back bigger and stronger. So uh, that's the that's the hopes of it, anyhow. So there you go. Yeah. Well, if if Mike's able to do it, you know, what's your excuse, guys? I mean, I, you couldn't have said any better, Mike. Where can people, t- uh, uh, you know, touch base with what you got going on to keep tabs on you uh, with this coaching, this these the books, etc. Where we can tap in more into that, and where can we find out more? So first of all, anywhere you hang out on social media, you'll find me. Uh, personally or business-wise, uh, company is mycoreintentions.com. Mm, love that, by the way. Great branding. Thank you. Um, and I um, uh, go to my website. There's a ton of information there, podcasts and, um, you know, information. But go download a copy of my book. It's uh, mycoreintentions.com forward slash exit plan and download a free copy for yourself. If you're a passive investor and you're looking for opportunity, reach out to me. I'd be more than happy to talk to you about what we're doing. I love networking with people and connecting. So my direct email is Mike at mycoreintentions.com. So feel free to reach out. Um, I love answering questions and helping people. And, um, you know, I'm just excited about being back in the game and, um, you know, being able to shed some knowledge for people. So. We're just excited as you are, and we're so honored that you took the time step in the lab. Again, uh, that's uh, my core uh, intentions, right? Mycoreintentions.com. And uh, definitely uh, tune in to to what Mike's doing. Exit plan. Get the book. Check that out. And we'll make sure that if you're driving, keep your hands on the wheel. We'll include that in the show notes and get home safe. So with that said, Mike, you came, you experimented, you failed, you learned, and you're repeating, and now you're conquering. And just like that, we are out. If you're a real estate professional, a real estate agent, a real estate investor, a lender, a multifamily syndicator, a contractor, you name it, and you're looking to grow your online presence, but you have no idea how to get started or simply don't have the time, at Invested Talent, we help real estate professionals extend their current business to social media. Why is this important? Without this, you wouldn't be listening to this show and your own host, Ruben Kanya, and his team would not have done deals they've done today. As a matter of fact, Social media has helped us keep this show together, which now exceeds a billion dollars worth of real estate from our guests collectively. That's right. Our reputation, opportunities, partnerships, and most importantly, real estate transactions were started directly from social media. If you're a real estate professional and you lack an existence on a media platform, Invested Talent can help. Simply go to investedtalent.com forward slash social media and make sure you click the get in touch button to get in touch with our team. Again, that's investedtalent.com forward slash social media and get in touch with our team. You focus on being the brand and we'll help you build it. Now, if you know anything about the lab, you know that we like to give practical advice. So if you feel that this podcast was of any value to you, please be sure to leave us a review on iTunes by going directly to the podcast app. From the show's page, scroll all the way down and leave us a review. If you're watching this on YouTube, please subscribe by clicking the subscribe button and leave us a comment. Lastly, and most importantly, share this episode with a friend you feel will benefit this episode the most. Remember, there's a you and I in build. Let's build, y'all.